doing. Well, today we are beginning a new series called Story, which is going to be the bulk of this running up to Christmas as we look at Mark's Gospel and think about some really massive questions. And as we get into this, uh, I don't know if you heard, a couple of years ago there was a UK census. Anyone remember filling out those forms? Yeah, you'll probably remember a few years back filling out the census forms. Well, the results are now out and fascinating website with loads of information that you can kind of find out about our nation. But helpfully, as part of the census website with all of the results, they've also added this extra thing which you may or may not want to complete. It is called the Life Expectancy Calculator, where you put in a couple of little bits of details about yourself, and it comes up on the basis of census information, your possible life expectancy. So I did it. Here's mine on the screen. 84 years old. That's when I'm going to leave this mortal coil, or whatever the saying is. Very good. Which therefore means I've got less than 45% of my life left. Apparently, they very kindly also said I've got less than 5% chance of reaching 100. So there you go. What I've noticed if you do it is if you're older, you're likely to get more than 84. And if you're younger, you're likely to get more than 84. It's sort of my sort of age for some reason, whether it's the way we live, whatever it is, the stress we carry, we're slightly lower than anywhere else. But anyway, 84 years, that's what I've got if this comes to pass. Uh, You may or may not want to do the same thing. But the reason for mentioning that right at the beginning is it's a salutary moment because I'm at that stage of life where a lot of my friends are reassessing their lives. Maybe for some of us on the back of COVID where our world was turned upside down, or just the uncertainty of life, or the cost of living crisis where we're trying to work out how to make ends meet. For whatever reason, loads of my friends are reassessing life, reassessing relationships, reassessing careers, reassessing even faith. And if I've only got 45% of my life left, (laughs) I want to make sure the last bit of my life counts. In the words of William Carey, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And I get the sense that it isn't just me and my friends. A lot of us are asking big questions about the rest of our lives, about the patterns of living, about the things that really count. What do we want to spend the rest of our stories living out? And as we get into Mark's gospel, as we begin this series we're calling Story, as we think about your story, and the story that we are part of, and the stories that our world around us tells us, there really are only two questions that really count. At the stage I'm at, as you think about what the rest of our life looks like, there's two questions. Who is Jesus? And what difference does that make to the rest of the story of my life? Because if Jesus isn't, who Mark says he is, 
we may well as all walk away and do whatever we want. But if he is, then our lives are completely different and need to be completely different as a result. Two questions. Who is Jesus? And what impact does that have on the rest of my life, the last 45%, and whatever it may be for you? Because Mark, in this gospel, this account of Jesus' life, pulls no punches and there's no fluff in what he says. He begins the very first words and he wants to sock you in the eyes, if that's a saying. This is what he says, the beginning of the good news. He doesn't allow us to think that Jesus is an interesting historical figure that we can pick and choose. He says, this is good news, and he wants to tell us, and so this is the beginning of it. And so here's a suggestion for us all. Uh, Judy has already mentioned, we're providing these Mark's Gospels. Uh, And if you would love to read through Mark's Gospel, and you've never done so, and if this is particularly helpful, there's down here on the left, on the way out, you can grab one. The suggestion is if you can... Give a £2 donation, please do. But if you can't afford that but still really want one, feel free to take one. But only take one if you're actually really going to grapple with it. There's space to write notes and so on. If you're really going to read and grapple with this, feel free to take one. If we need to get more over the coming weeks, we will do so. But the challenge for all of us is this. Through this next few months, the challenge is for all of us to read Mark's Gospel, just to read it. Not to think and kind of just, you know, spend however much time we want to do, note it, but just read it. Whether it's this week, this month, this term, whatever it might be, this series. Grapple with what Mark says. Because ultimately, if Mark is not telling the truth, we may well all go home. But if he is telling the truth, friends, all of us will have our lives impacted. So he says, this is the beginning of the good news. And that phrase, good news, we so often, if we're around church, get used to it. It's the word gospel. But what Mark is doing, this is not some sort of just holy thing. This is a description, an announcement. The word good news, gospel, was used of emperors that won battles. It's not a Christian religious word. It's a secular word, just announcing something has happened that means, friends, your story is different. And it's good news for you. With your world, with your pressures, with your responsibilities, with your questions, this, what Mark says, is good news for you and for me with my 45%. And the good news is simply that God has come as a rescuer. I love this quote from a guy called Dean Kissick who is writing in Spike magazine. And this is part of some research that was done by Dazed Magazine. Some of you may have heard of Dazed Magazine. Doing some research about youth culture and what are the kind of trends that, if you like, at the forefront of fashion and art that are being seen. I'd love to read the full report. It costs £2,000, so I won't be able to do that. But there's some snippets come through. This is a quote from that report. From somebody, if you like, at the very cutting edge of where culture is going. And this is what he says. We are in a crisis of meaning. There's a huge desire for meaning. At a grander existential level, what is my life for? 
There's a breakdown in our culture of any shared collective meaning. But a person who can have a clear way of explaining the world, telling truths or forbidden truths, a lot of people are looking for that. Because we know we live in a world for so long that is all about project me, building my career, furthering my bank balance, making sure I'm comfortable, making sure I'm satisfied, making sure I'm fulfilled. Project me. And yes, if we want to help other people along the way, absolutely. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, so often it's about project me. I love this bit of street art, quite provocative. Not meant as a burden, but I found it quite challenging. You see those benches in loving memory? You see them in Cannon Hill? In loving memory of me. But when you see that, we laugh, but don't we find it slightly challenging? What do I spend my time thinking about? My wants, my needs, my fulfillment, my career, my satisfaction, my bank balance. Me, 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 me. And of course, we want to help our family, friends. But we live in a culture of project me. And what's interesting, there's more and more research suggesting that some of the mental health stuff that we're grappling with in massive ways are because we spent so much time focusing on me and being promised Things that always fail to deliver. There's a guy called Chuck DeGroat, who is a Christian psychologist, and he was reflecting on what he calls our hypertherapeutic culture, in which he, he rightly says it's brilliant why there is so much emphasis on counseling and making sure that people have an opportunity to talk out what is really going on. Brilliant. But he does say there is a risk. There is a risk that many of us, we're no longer in a story that's bigger than us. But the story is us. And that's a problem. A problem in lots of physical, mental, emotional ways. And into that, Mark says the beginning of some good news, friends. Why? Well, look again what he says. The beginning of the good news about Jesus. And look how Jesus is described three ways. The Messiah, the Son of God, and then a few Old Testament references. Jesus is the game changer whether we like it or not. He mentions he's the Messiah, which is just a Hebrew word. We have a Greek alternative called the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' surname. I'm Tim Chilvers. He was Jesus Christ. No, it is a title, and it simply means anointed one. Just like kings were anointed, they're the one. So Jesus is the one. Chosen by God for his purposes. Not only that, he's the son of God. That, again, is not just a religious term. It's a familiar phrase. Emperors would have been known of as sons of God. Coins, you'd have had coins with the emperor, with the words written on it, D.V. Phileas, son of God. Emperor Augustus or whoever it was. And this is a subversive claim that not just those in power, but know this. Jesus is the son of God, not the emperor, a carpenter. No wonder that when Mark gets to the end and there's a Roman centurion representing the Roman Empire 
And as he sees Jesus dying, what does he say? Surely this man was the Son of God. So Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Son of God. But then also, Mark mentions several Old Testament references, which we easily skip over and we're not sure what they're about. But simply, he's really upping the ante here of who Jesus is. Because Jews in those days would have believed, because of the Old Testament, that one day God himself would step in to rescue his people. With all sorts of various Old Testament references, including some of those. And ahead of this person would come a messenger preparing the way. And that is what Mark is saying. Right off the bat, Mark is posing a a question for you and for me. Who is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah, the Son of God? Or if not? Because if not, friends, why are we here? We should go away and watch whatever chef programs are on telly at the moment. Is Mark right? That's the simple question. And so many of us know intellectually that we think he's right, but then spend much of our lives not really living in the light of that. Or many of us think we can sort of park him as a sort of historical interesting figure. I'm not really sure, but not really that much to do with my life. Either he is or he isn't. And Mark is inviting us in to explore. Is he? Is he? Because if he is, it changes everything. And throughout this series, we're inviting you to share something of your story. We'd love to encourage you, you've been doing this over the last few weeks, to encourage each of you to submit your own story. Just record it on your video, on your phone, up to three minutes, just very briefly, really relaxed. You don't have to be very professional, just record it on camera to hear something of your story. Either what Jesus means to you or how you first became a follower of Jesus or anything like that. Just to share something of your story so that as we go through, we might encourage each other. And we're going to hear one person's story now. We're going to hear Mel's story of what Jesus means to her. So my story of following Jesus is that I've grown up in a Christian family, went to church as a child, um, always believed in God, had an understanding of prayer and loved reading the Bible. Um, But it didn't really become real to me until I went to school and I went away to boarding school for my GCSEs and A-levels and there wasn't um, a lot of spiritual input there and I just found it quite difficult and I wasn't particularly happy there Um, and so I really dug deep into my faith um, which was really growing at that point just in a kind of real childlike way. Um, And I just have that sense of looking back at those years, just knowing that Jesus was real, knowing that he was with me, even though it was a difficult time. And so from that foundation, um, I did a couple of summers where I was volunteering at Christian camps and I got baptised at one of those when I was 17. Um, And that was kind of a stake in the ground with me saying that actually this is real and I want to make this um, a point in my life where there's no turning back because I know Jesus is real so what's the point in doing anything else Um, and then I went to university and the girl that I was put next to in my halls of residence was a Christian as well and nobody else was so that was a actually quite a difficult time um, where there was lots of freedoms um, and it was 
a tricky time with my faith. I didn't really get stuck into a church until my second year. Um, but I can see looking back that God is so faithful. He was answering my prayers. He was with me. He protected me from a lot of situations that could have gone horribly wrong in terms of my safety and things. Um, so I yeah, look back at that time again and see that as a real chance of God showing his reality firstly and then he, he's just such a good protective father and so faithful um, and then I went into work and um, ended up doing a couple of mission trips in between like using my holidays up and I met my husband on one of those and we were both feeling at the same time that maybe God was asking us to do that full time so we gave up our jobs and just seeing God's faithfulness to us as he provides for our family financially as well as through prayer support and through opportunities to share his love to the people that we are living and working amongst today. So that's my story of how I became a follower of Jesus. It was a gradual drip feed but there are significant points in my life where I just knew that he was real and I knew that he was answering my prayers and looking out for me and speaking to me um, and so yeah it's exciting. Thanks, Mel. And we'd love to hear your story as well. So please do. Don't think, I haven't really got a very exciting story. I'm not sure what I'd say. Just simply on your phone and relax. You can do various takes, whatever it is. Don't worry about it. We'd love to encourage each other with hearing our own stories. Because Mark won't let us ignore the question, who do we say Jesus is? Still a historical question. It's still a question for all of us. What year are we in? 2023. Why? Because of Jesus. So who do you say he is? That's a simple question that we all need to answer. Because friends, Mark wants to say either Jesus is nothing or he's everything. There is no middle ground. And so Mark introduces us to a figure who like prepares the way, who knows the truth of who Jesus is. A guy called John who some people know as John the Baptist. This is what Mark says. And so, verse 4, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Israel, that Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Do you notice several things? He's in the wilderness, not the temple. He's not where kind of religious people should be. He emphasizes baptism. And the whole Judean countryside and Jerusalem were going out to him. Now, we easily skip over this, but his baptism was scandalous. Because what he was actually saying was that your religious heritage, your nationality, your background doesn't mean anything. Because in those days, Jewish people would have been used to ritual washing of hands and feet. But full baptism, well, that was reserved for people who weren't Jews who wanted to convert. Because they needed to be fully cleansed, as it were. Not just of specific deeds, but throughout. And so when John is baptizing Jews from the Judean countryside and all Jerusalem going out to him hugely controversial. How do you think the religious leaders in the temple would have thought about that? No wonder he ended up dead. They hated it because it challenged their belief that they somehow needed to be saved 
on the basis of their national identity. That's what they thought. But that even they needed to turn back to God and seek forgiveness of sins. And I think it's a huge reminder to us right at the beginning of Mark's account of Jesus' life. That if you're here and you feel you don't fit in church, you feel a little bit of an outsider. If only people knew what was going on in my life, my head, my heart, my relationships, my whatever. But it's a reminder that those kind of people are always at the center of God's story. Maybe you don't fit at church. Maybe you don't know your Bibles very much. Maybe you're scared of praying out loud. Maybe you think it's a bit weird when people sing and put their hands in the air. Maybe even being here this morning just feels a little bit unsettling. Friends, those people are always at the center of God's story. John's baptism, his emphasis reminds us that they're precisely the sort of people that God is looking for. And so John is announced as the voice. Preparing the way for God's rescuer. Uh, any fans of The Voice, the TV program? One or two. I really like The Voice. It's this program where you basically get various celebrities. They sit with their back to the performer, and purely on the basis of their voice, they have to press a button to turn around if they like their voice or not. And it's all about these people who want to be pop stars, and they want their voice to carry through, and the various celebrities have to guess and say, yeah, I want them on my team, and so on. They want to make it, but John's voice is different. This is not about his career. This is not about him furthering his lot. Not about him at all. He's announcing, he goes ahead of the king. There's the old joke that is said about the queen that before she died, she used to think the whole country smelt of fresh paint. Because wherever she went, people would tidy it up and make sure everything was freshly painted. Why? Because people have gone ahead of the queen, the monarch, to prepare the way for the monarch to step in. Well, in the same way, but with slightly less fresh paint, because he was dressed in camel's hair, he goes preparing the way for God, rescuer. And with that in mind, one of the things we want to encourage people to do this term is something called talking Jesus. In your groups, all your group leaders, you will be sent information. You've already been sent information about this, but you will continue to be sent information. As well as the normal questions and stuff to do in our studies every week in your groups, we're also encouraging at some point over the next year, each group to do the Talking Jesus course, which is simply a really engaging way to help all of us to think, how can I speak more of Jesus? How can I use my voice to point not just to me, but to point to him by telling my story. It's based on some research that was done by Alpha Church of England, Hope Together Evangelical Alliance, in which they discovered lots of interesting things. Do you know that people who aren't Christians like the Christians that they know? Yay! But they are less positive about the church. A third of people who aren't Christians in the UK having had a conversation with a Christian, are open to talking again about Jesus. That's great. 36% of people who aren't Christians, having had a conversation with a Christian, are open to experiencing or meeting or encountering Jesus for themselves. And in some separate research done by Fusion about students, 
three quarters of students who don't attend a church regularly would attend if they were invited. So friends, we are in a culture in which people are looking for meaning as we thought, but they're not necessarily going to the church, but therefore we as individual people, wherever our worlds are, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have the opportunity to use our voice to simply share our story, however frail or faltering we may be, to simply say, what's your story? Can I tell you a little bit of mine? Because friends, there are people out there who are desperately looking for something. There are. This was reminded to me uh, just yesterday. My niece told me a story. She went to a pub with her fiancé and some other people. Just go to the pub. Uh, As they met this couple, a woman and a man, who clearly had a few too many shandies. And they began talking. This woman started saying some quite offensive and quite, quite hard things to my niece about death. And my niece, very bravely, said, I don't think you're right. I believe in a God who loves everyone. Not much. As that, the guy that was stood next to this woman said, I really need to talk to you. And so grabbed her, not physically grabbed her, said, come over here. And they spent the next half an hour in the pub doorway with her fiancé looking on slightly worried. (laughs) Because he was desperate But his story was all about how he felt the church had rejected him. But he knew he needed something. My my niece was able to simply share something of her faith. Who knows what will happen? But friends, there are people. And if we lift our eyes away from Project Me, there are people desperate for hope. And John knows where hope is found. Because listen to how... The passage ends, verses 7 and 8. This was John's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and tie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John knew that all we really need is a real encounter with Jesus. Because he's the only one that changes everything. He's the only one that enables you to be filled with God's life and breath and God's spirit. He is where hope is found. And so my challenge for us, my challenge for you and for me, is will we, even this week, say, Lord, please, I want to talk about Jesus this week. And we might then, in every conversation, try and think, can I talk about Jesus? Why? Because, friends, there is a desperate world looking for meaning. And Mark wants to simply say, who do you say Jesus is? And then what impact does that have on your story?